and it really felt like the old pre-COVID conference. More than 11,500 total attendees and more than 350 exhibitors. As you keep adding complexity to the problem, the mathematics you need to solve this may take us elsewhere. I wonder what that is. So that's a hypothesis I'd like to test with our guests when we get an opportunity. Water cooling, which certainly at the high end seems to be increasingly mainstream. A bunch of focus on object storage and accessing object storage, as well as some cloud-based storage capabilities that are now coming to both commercial and HPC markets. Kind of reaching the limits with some of the approaches for leadership supercomputing in particular, the commodity-based systems. But I have to say, it also sounds like AI woke up and said, I am HPC. <laughs> From Orion X, in association with Inside HPC, this is the At HPC podcast. Join Shaheen Khan and Doug Black as they discuss supercomputing technologies and the applications, markets, and policies that shape them. Thank you for being with us. Hey, Shaheen, great to be with you. Great to be with you. How was SC22 for you? It's certainly the high point of the year. It engulfs so much work and effort to get ready for it. And then the week itself is quite exhausting. Everybody kind of staggers out of there, but it was a great, great conference. It really was. Lots going on. And it really felt like the old pre-COVID conference. More than 11,500 total attendees and more than 350 exhibitors. That doesn't quite reach pre-COVID numbers, but it was a very lively, very crowded event. I thought it was a pretty good bounce back from pre-COVID. I believe the high pre-COVID attendee list was 13,500. Okay. The following year, it wasn't held at all. The one in Atlanta and then in St. Louis. Uh, reports, I wasn't there, but the reports were that it's about 3,500 or so, if I remember correctly, which basically also means mostly vendors. Mm -hmm. So for it to bounce back to 11,500, recognizing that a lot of the international attendees had to make up their minds back in the summer when there was still a lot of hesitation about COVID, I thought it was a very respectable showing. Yeah. And as I say, really good energy. And so far, let's keep our fingers crossed. I haven't heard any news or problems around COVID. Now there were at ISC, it was something of a super spreader event, but mm. so far so good on SC. So hope it stays that way. Yeah. Fingers crossed. I agree. I thought the energy was awesome. There was obviously a pent-up, built-up uh, desire to meet <laughs> in person. Yeah, exactly. And you had a nice event, the Dead Architecture Society that I attended. That was fun. Yes, yes. It's always a friendly reunion kind of a thing, not a business event. Yeah. And it's always a pleasure to catch up with folks. As you know, I have a small mailing list that I send around and encourage folks to spread it. And there's a homework assignment list with four or five topics that I asked people to think about. So that was a lot of fun. Why don't we get into some of the issues, trends, technologies that seem to be drawing a lot of attention? I know we were just talking about water cooling, which certainly at the high end seems to be increasingly mainstream. I know uh, Lenovo, Atos, who else was showing their water cooling capability? Well, all the cooling specialists, but what was noticeable to me was that all the established vendors now have a more prominent showing of their liquid-cooled systems, not immersion cooling. I think the operational complexity of immersion cooling is still an issue, mm -hmm. but in terms of just chilled 
doors all the way to direct contact cold plates. And even on the roadmap is flowing coolant through the chip itself, not just on top of it, but through it. Interesting. Yeah. Clearly a massive problem that the industry is going to solve. Yeah. And certainly HPE's in the middle of that. And Lenovo has been doing it for 10 years. What seemed like a very high risk approach to cooling now is, as we say, increasingly mainstream and it saves a lot of power. The handwriting has been on the wall for at least two decades, if not more, maybe three decades. Now, in the old days, the mainframes are all water-cooled and they were different technology before CMOS came about. But as chip technology became denser and hotter and bigger, that that was going to happen. What else? What other topics? You mentioned CXL. A lot of excitement about CXL, especially 3.0, which is the most recent announcement. They're working on rationalizing the roadmap of all the different efforts that have now become consolidated under the CXL umbrella. Mm -hmm. The IO and the memory parts are the ones that are really interesting and are around the corner. We saw some sample silicon that are coming. This really could lead to not just composable infrastructure, but also shared memory within Iraq, which would be quite interesting. Yeah, and then there was developments around PCIe, a lot of talk around PCIe. I think it's version 5. Well, PCIe from 3 to 4 took forever. And then four, five, and now six and seven are on the roadmap. <laughs> so you have to say, are you guys going a little too fast here suddenly? Or is <laughs> it slow all... down a little bit, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but, but they're really active working. And PCI also is a very critical part of it. Of course, CXL sits on top of it. Uh, there's a bit of an overlap between the protocols, but I think the whole thing is going to rationalize itself too. Uh, that's the word of this episode, I guess. But that also is very important because uh, these PCIe switches can now be used again within Iraq uh, beyond just composable infrastructure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Storage, never, you might say not as sexy as throughput and compute, but a lot of attention around storage as as data volumes explode. Yeah, it's lots of dollars. And as a market segment, it's uh, highly fragmented because everything is data. (laughs) Mm. And, and if you want to optimize data, then it depends on what it is and what you're trying to do with it. And because it's all over the map, there are all kinds of optimization avenues to it. Uh, so what I saw that was interesting was a bunch of focus on object storage and accessing object storage, a lot of S3 compliance because AWS S3 is a de facto standard that everybody wants to be compatible with, as well as some cloud-based storage capabilities that are now coming and becoming available to both commercial and HPC markets. If I'm not mistaken, Hyperion has storage pegged as something like 17 or $18 billion market. Yes, indeed. Yeah. And uh, Hyperion did do their update. I I don't believe they had an actual in-person breakfast this time, which is kind of a feature of the event. And I think they're going back to that next year. Always do a great job. I had a good chat with them. What I recall is that for 2021, they had the total HPC market, all told, uh, cloud, on-prem, all of it, was at $34.8 billion. For 2022, they expect the year to end at $38.5 billion. So that's a nice jump from, let's say, from 35 to 38 and a half. And for 2023, they project $42.7 billion, another similar jump something like a 6 to 7% growth, which is really quite healthy. I think overlaying the conference this year, along with that nice business growth, 
and uh, general optimism. And coming out of COVID, all sorts of good things happening, but it's the first SC in which we actually have a functioning exascale system. So Frontier was kind of a hero in the backdrop of the conference. And what a great triumph that that's been. Absolutely. Absolutely. And of course, uh, there was a panel discussion that you and I both attended about the future of supercomputing. So I want to get your perspective on that. It's kind of interesting. In some ways, I think the panelists, including Dan Breed and Jack Dongara and Kathy Yellick, the theme of the discussion, I, I, I want to write this up, was talking about the kind of reaching the limits with some of the approaches for leadership supercomputing in particular, the commodity-based systems, and how to get to the next level within a reasonable amount of money and power usage and all those issues that they're wrestling at the very, very high end, including, you know, that some of the very top systems, while they might have these very impressive peak performance numbers, with some workloads are running way below peak performance, you know, down around 2%. And as I believe Jack said, Jack Dongara, you know, you can have a race car that can go 200 miles an hour, but if it's only running at 1% of that peak performance, you're go- it's a car going two miles per hour. So <laughs> that's no race car. Yeah. You might as well walk. <laughs> right. <laughs> so. Yes. So I wonder how much of that is the system being designed for something else, which they have been. But when they were designed for HPL, it's not because, you know, it was for good reasons for it. HPL was a good proxy for building a system that could do a lot of different things well. Mm-hmm. And it matched the prevailing big whales of scientific computing. So I wonder to what extent this indicates that the underlying science is shifting towards more sparse matrices, yeah. more 3D nonlinear partial differential equations. And that would make sense to me because an analysis we did a couple of years ago was to categorize the difficulty of the problems that you're trying to solve. You know, maybe you start out with linear problems and those linear problems have all kind of been solved, you could say. And then you do to 2D and then 3D and then 4D from fixed to dynamic, transient. When you go from a supersonic to transonic flow, for example, that would be an example of something like that. And then you go to multiphasic, to multiphysics. As you keep adding complexity to the problem, the mathematics you need to solve this may take us elsewhere. I wonder what that is. So that's a hypothesis I'd like to test with our guests when we get an opportunity. Yeah. So we wanted to hit on some of the high points from the conference and major points of discussion, and then maybe we'll devote our next several episodes of the podcast to doing deeper dives into some of these. I think that's a great idea. I'm going to rattle off three or four other things that that I noticed. I spent a bunch of time this show looking into DPUs because they're all coming and they're clearly going to impact networking and interconnects and perhaps storage as well. So looking forward to getting into that. AI chips, they were everywhere, lots of AI chips and systems that are built around them, Uh all showing different kinds of specialization, including analog componentry, including systolic FPGA data flow types of systems, all under various degrees of compiler support. Quantum computing showed up. It was blended into a lot of HPC booths. That was nice to see. And in general, yet another you know, candy store. It was a lot of, <laughs> you name it, it was there in abundance and at the very leading edge. Yeah. I did spend some time talking to these various AI companies, Samba Nova, Grok, Cerebris, 
companies of that ilk just to right to get more of a, a sense of Graphcore, yeah. Graphcore, you know, who they are, how they're different, what their strategies are. Having them all in the same venue, the same place, you could run from one booth to the next. And that was very helpful. Right, right. The other thing I want to mention is there was an industry open standards pavilion that was a must stop. I talked to a bunch of folks at the OpenMP booth as well, and then software. So software continues to be the complicated piece of the puzzle that we also have to pay attention to. Yes, indeed. You know, HP and I'd say Atos drew a lot of attention because number four system Leonardo installed at the Cheneca Supercomputing Center in Bologna, again, as we've mentioned before, kind of represented the growing strength we think that we're seeing in Europe and added investment and emphasis on supercomputing. That too is a topic we're going to come back to, and that's the poles of HPC strength that are present around the world with Atos in Europe, obviously HPE, Cray being the prominent player in the Western world, uh, Fujitsu with uh, Fugaku, Dell obviously capable, albeit not as present in the high end. We also had players like Tata that were doing supercomputing systems in India. I haven't heard from them recently, but as supercomputing shifted from designing monolithic systems to integrating and testing clusters, and that became something that professional services and systems integrators could do. And because they were indigenous, they were preferred. So you could really see that coming. But then over time, they've built the capability to actually design systems. Atos acquired Bull that had always pretty impressive design capability. Uh, so that dynamic is also very, very interesting, especially in the context of geopolitics that we also have talked about. Well, and speaking of which, uh, one of the centers of supercomputing strength was China, but very low profile and not participating in the top 500, not talking about their exascale systems that we think they have. Um, and that's, I would say, a big change in the SC conference over the last, what, five to 10 years. You're right. And there have been questions of why that is and you know whether we can have some hypotheses besides just trade wars. Mm-hmm. The other relevant question is what is the impact of that on a company like Lenovo? And what we observe there is that systems outside of China are in fact being presented and they participate in part, arguably, I don't know, because their customers want to, but no systems inside China. Yeah. It's a reflection of these growing tensions and trade conflicts and uh, growing geopolitical conflicts. So yeah, there we go. Okay. As we say, we'll be doing more on things that came out of SC22, but what about SC23, Shaheen? So SC23 is going to be back in Denver. And since we were doing all the taglines and SC22 was HPC Accelerates, Mm -hmm. SC23 is I am HPC. I am. And according to the show organization, it's all to celebrate all of us and the entire community. But I have to say, it also sounds like AI woke up and said, I am HPC. <laughs> mm. Okay. All right. I like it, though. I like it. So I like I'm looking it. forward to that. Yeah, and Denver's a great town. So we'll look forward to that. That sounds great, Gene. Well, thanks so much. Always great to be with you. And we'll talk again soon. Likewise. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. And talk to you next week. That's it for this episode of the At HPC podcast. Every episode is featured on InsideHPC.com and posted on OrionX.net. Use the comment section or tweet us with any questions or to propose topics of discussion. 
If you like the show, rate and review it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. The At HPC Podcast is a production of Orion X in association with Inside HPC. Thank you for listening.